I can't hear myself. Can you hear me? Okay, I can hear me now. And that's some good singing, church, and I appreciate uh, you, you all bringing your hearts to worship with you this morning. Did you bring your Bible with you to worship as well? Go ahead and open up your copy of God's Word, whether it's electronic or you've got a physical copy in front of you. Ephesians chapter 4, and we are looking at verses 7 through 16 this morning. We said two questions we need to ask related to Christian maturity. And I want us to pause for just a second to think about that because Paul is envisioning a church that is growing up. And, and he begins in chapter 1 talking about how they've been adopted by God. Now they are the children of God, and now they have all of the blessings of heaven because they belong to Jesus. So everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to them. Praise God for that. Wow, that's amazing to think about that. And, and we talked last time about how we're seated in the heavenlies with Christ. And it's a high calling that we've been called to. And, and Paul's envisioning that we would grow up. I had a pastor friend that preached a sermon one day, and he titled it, Oh, Grow Up. Well, that's what Paul is talking about. He wants us to stop acting like children when it comes to our spiritual walk, but to grow up into Christ. And so there's two questions relating to that. Number one we asked last week is, what's my calling? And we, we talked about how it's a high calling, a heavenly calling. And we are called to be saved and sanctified and serving. We're called to put our faith in Jesus, then to walk with Jesus, to live a holy life, and then to serve Him with everything that we have. Now, we're going to focus more on that serving aspect here as we look at 7 through 16 because Paul starts to begin to talk about gifts of the Spirit and how Jesus has equipped us. And so here is the biblical truth. Those whom God calls, He also equips God never calls the equipped, but He always equips the called. If you are attempting, if whatever you're attempting to do for God in the area of service doesn't leave you feeling utterly inadequate for the task, then you're probably not in the will of God. I think about being a parent, and it is Mother's Day, and I don't know what it's like to be a mother, but I do know what it's like to be a dad of four kids. And sometimes I feel utterly ill, unequal to the task. But I know I'm in the will of God because I'm just a steward of the ministry that He's given me. And so God's going to equip me to do that. And God will never lead you to it if He doesn't intend to see you through it. He will never tell you to do something that He will not impart His grace the ability and the knowledge that is necessary for that task to you. And so we saw, saw last time how we are all called to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. If we're called, then we're going to be equipped as well. We've been given a gift. We've been given gifts of the Holy Spirit. And Paul reminds the Ephesians of who the one who is at work within them to equip them for the work of ministry. So why don't you stand with me and let's read here again in chapter 4, beginning verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. 
It's saying he ascended. What does that mean? It, but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he may fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let us pray together. Father, we are thankful for your word today, Lord, and we humble our hearts before you. We ask for you to speak to us, and then, Lord, as a result, speak through us, Lord, that we might be the people that you've called us to be and shine the light in the darkness. Lord, we pray that you would help each and every one of us measure up to the fullness of Christ as we walk on this earth, Lord. Lord, we pray, God, that we don't try to measure ourselves by the world and its standards, but we would measure ourselves against Christ so that, Lord, we can truly see who we are. And, Lord, that those areas, as we examine your word even now today, Lord, that we need to repent and, Lord, we need to refocus. We pray, Lord, that you would reveal those and, Lord, that we would follow in obedience in the footsteps of Christ. Lord, may it all be done for the name and the sake and the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that others may see him living in us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. I want you to be seated. Now we see that Paul talks about this Jesus who descended into the lower parts. And that's really important to understand is that Jesus, during the time that he was in the grave, probably only took him the first day, but three days in the grave, he went down and he conquered the demons in hell. And he laid them bare and he said, put them to shame, put them to open shame is what the scripture says. And so death no longer has a hold on me, amen? Because Jesus defeated death. He went into the lower regions. He led a host of captives. He took them captive, and they are bound. And they are, uh, because of his power, powerless. And so that's really important for us to understand that. But Paul says not only did he descend, but he ascended. In other words, where is Jesus right now? Jesus is seated upon the throne, and he has all power, all authority, all dominion. It all belongs to him. Everything belongs to him. But Jesus had said, unless I go, the helper can't come. And so he had planned in his divine providence that he would send the Holy Spirit to us. He said in our Sunday school class, because we're studying the book of Acts, the only interaction that you, only personal interaction that you've ever had with Almighty God is through the Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit is manifest here in the world today. As a New Testament church, He's in us. The Spirit of God is in us. And so He says that because of that, in verse, verse 7 again, it says, 
But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. See, He poured out the Spirit upon us, and as He poured that out, and the Holy Spirit indwelled you the moment that you put your faith in Jesus, now you've been given a gift by God. Everyone has a gift. So here's the first thing. You've been entrusted. He gave you something. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we have this treasure in jars of clay. You've been given a gift. Now, you're not any better or worse than anyone else. And neither is your gift. Some of us like to say, well, I, I, I'm just not gifted in that. Or I'm not gifted in this or that or the other. And we kind of look down on ourselves. And we don't count ourselves worthy to be working in the service of God. Well, that's just not my gift. Well, here's the thing. You have been given a gift, and you need to count it as very special, as worth using. Now, here's the thing. The unique quality of a gift is that it is a gift. It's not that you did, it's not that you did anything to earn it or deserve it. The gift is what's special. The gift is what has the power. You were recreated by God to fulfill a purpose in the kingdom of God that no one else can do besides you. You are uniquely qualified to be you. That doesn't mean that you are the only one with the gift, but that means that, that you are the only one of you with the gift. In other words, we all have a place. And every one of us is important. You are important to the kingdom. Now, why? Why is this so important? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? For the common good. We all come, all of our gifts come together in the church and we build one another up and we edify one another with the gift that we've been given. And if you're not using your gift, then we're missing out. And the common good is not realized in this place, because we're missing a link. We're missing someone. John Calvin wrote this. He said, The Spirit of God therefore distributes gifts among us in order that He may make all contribute to the common advantage. To no one does He give all, lest anyone satisfied with His particular portion should separate Himself from the others and live solely for Himself. So if you think, well, I've got my gift now, I'll just go home and I'll neglect what the writer of Hebrews tells us to do, which is we won't gather together. He says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. If I do that and I take my gift and I go home or I bury my treasure, I bury my talent and I don't do anything with it, then I'm neglecting what God has called me to do. He's entrusted me with a small piece of the work of building the kingdom of God, and I must take that seriously and decide that it's worth my time and it's worth my energy, it's, it's worth my effort to home in on my gift and use my gift for the kingdom. In my church membership, my family, my work, my influence... When you choose to not use your gift that God has given you and you bury it or, or you, you, you say it's not as good as someone else's gift in your own heart and in your own mind, here's what happens. You rob others of a direct blessing from those gifts. 
If you choose not to use your gift, then I miss out on a blessing. So you're robbing me of something that God has entrusted to you that is for me and others in the church. Someone doesn't get taught the Word of God. Someone doesn't get encouraged. Someone doesn't receive help that they need. Someone is lacking in their strength because you haven't strengthened them. You rob others of a blessing. But secondly, you rob the church of growth because here's the thing. Paul talks about how we're going to grow up together. We can't grow alone. We must grow together. And we need one another. We need to lean on each other. And an unhealthy plant does not produce fruit. You never see a, a dying tree with fruit all over it. In the same way, an unhealthy church doesn't grow. And when you're not using your gifts for the glory of God, it causes the church to become unhealthy. So it doesn't grow. And thirdly, you rob yourself of a blessing. Paul reminds us that the Lord Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, it's a blessing to get a gift. When Jesus gives me a spiritual gift and He entrusts me with that gift, I'm receiving a blessing. And it is a blessed thing to get a gift from God. And every one of us, whenever we are saved and we are called to service, the Lord Jesus gives you a gift. He's, he's given you that spiritual gift. How many gifts can a person have? Well, I'll say this. We have at least one. Now, so we can have multiple gifts, but God gives gifts according to the measure that God has poured out into your life. However many He chooses to give you, that's between you and Him. But here's the thing. That's a blessing, but it's even a bigger blessing when we take the gift and we multiply it for His kingdom. It's more blessed to give that gift away than it is to have received it. Amen? And some of you, you know this because you've been given the gift of helps. And, and you know, God, God gave you that gift and it's wonderful. But when you go and you help someone else figure something out or you help them do it, you just come alongside them and it lifts their spirit and they, they have a smile on their face and they accomplish the task and they tell you thank you. And then all of a sudden, guess what you're doing? You're smiling too. You're just elated that you were able to help. Because God gave you a gift that's meant to be shared. And it's meant to be multiplied. You've been entrusted. He gave you that. He gave you that because He loves you. He gave you that because He wants to use you. And there's no greater privilege in all of the universe than for the Lord Jesus to call you into His service. And there's nothing more important than you could do with your life than to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you've been entrusted. But secondly, not only have you been entrusted, you are being equipped. Now let's think about the gifts for just a minute. Romans 12, um, 3 through 8, and 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Here's just a list, okay? I just pulled this one down. Um, there's so many lists, and some say there's 12, some say 18, whatever. You know, they, None of the lists are exhaustive. It's all representation of the gifts, but administration, being apostle, discernment, evangelism, exhortation, faith. And so you can go on down the list. Those are some of the lists. But what follows here in Ephesians chapter 4 is not some exhaustive list of gifts. 
Paul doesn't focus on the gifts. He focuses on the people. Now look at what he says here. He's talking to the church and he's saying, these people, God gave them to the church so that you can know how to use your gift and so that you can grow. Look at what he says in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So there's work that's being done by certain people that God has given a specific calling, a specific gift, so that they can build people up. And you are being equipped by these people. It's interesting that these people, some of these people, uh, are probably those that ended in the first century. But we still have the work that they've done. We still have the Word of God. We talk about the apostles. We're talking about the 12 apostles minus Judas Iscariot plus Matthias and plus Paul, at least. We know in the New Testament these are apostles. The Bible doesn't tell us that the apostles are going to continue. So some believe that the, the role of apostleship has ceased. But at the same time, we still have their work right before us. And the apostles are still equipping us. Even today, the apostles are equipping us. Because they bore witness to the resurrection of Jesus. And you sang about it this morning. The tomb is empty. He's alive. And we know that because of the apostles. And we know the implications of that because of the apostles. And then there's the prophets. And these were those to whom spiritual knowledge is revealed. So these are the, a greater group of individuals in that first century that that God gave spiritual knowledge to so that they could write Scripture, so that they could impart knowledge and the revelation of God that was being uh, revealed in the New Testament. And we know later on in the latter days there will be prophets, at least two according to the book of Revelation, that will arise and they will pro prophesy the coming of the Lord Jesus. But prophecy has ceased with the revelation of Scripture. Here's the thing. We have revelation, but we have as much as we're going to receive until Jesus' return. Amen? So listen, here's the thing. Don't think that God uh, told you something in the middle of the night that's not in Scripture. If it's not in the middle of Scripture, it's just a bad taco that you ate. It's keeping you up. Because the revelation of Jesus is complete. You look at the, the very end of the book, what does it say? Anyone who adds to this book, the Lord will add to the plagues. And anyone who takes away from the book, the Lord will take away from him the right to eat of the tree of, the, of, the tree of life. And so, uh, Revelation is complete in the canon of Scripture. But then he says we have the evangelists. These are those that have been given the gift of soul winning and they've been called to full-time evangelism. And all of us are called to evangelize, but some are called to full-time evangelism. Today, we call these people missionaries. Did you know that we have uh, 3,650 IMB missionaries worldwide and that you and I, whenever we put our money in the plate, we give to the cooperative program which goes to support our missionaries all around the world whose, whose job, whose calling is to equip 
the saints for the work of ministry in all different places in the world and spread the good news of Jesus in places where no one's ever heard the name of Jesus. And in the same vein, we have our North American, missionary, uh, North American missionaries. We have 2,469 of them deployed today, as well as chaplains. There's about 3,000 or so chaplains as well that are working with the North American Mission Board. And they're out sharing the gospel in places and planting churches in places where the gospel hasn't reached communities even in North America. And you think, well, this is... North America, that's the most evangelized place in the planet, right? There's so many people who don't know Jesus. And so that frontline work of sharing the good news of Jesus belongs to the evangelists, those who go out and they share. And then that, that fourth category of equippers that he, that he speaks about, those are the shepherds. And these are the pastors of the churches. These are the people that stand in pulpits just like I'm doing now. And they preach the, the Scripture. And they preach the name of Jesus. There's three roles in the New Testament. There's overseer, administrator. That word is episkopos. And there's the word elder. And we see the word uh, presbyteros is there. And there's the word pastor. And that's the word uh, poimen. Those three roles are interchangeable in the New Testament, but basically this person is the pastor of the church. Why does the pastor exist? The pastor exists so that God's Word can be taught and explained and lived by the people of God. That's the only reason I'm your pastor. That's the reason I'm here. And by the way... The pastor has absolutely no authority except that which is in the Word of God. That's what's given by the Word of God. He has no authority other than that. You hear me? There's only one head of the church. And that's the Lord Jesus. The pastor is simply entrusted with the task of delivering God's Word to God's people so that he might see them grow in the knowledge of Jesus got a couple of verses that I want you to think about here with relation to that. First Peter 5, 1 through 5. So I exhort the elders among you, notice he says elders there, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. You know, I love this. It's a pastor that's going to go to heaven one day. I like that. Because Peter knows that he's going to heaven. And I hope, I hope that all the pastors in the pulpits are saved, but I think there's probably some that aren't. So we have to be careful to whom we listen. But shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. The word overseer there, once again, that's, that's the word episkopos. So those two roles are interchangeable. Elders, episkopos. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know what that tells me right now? My gift is not any better than yours. 
These folks that sing up here every Sunday, simply because they can sing, it doesn't mean their gift is any better than yours. Stop talking down on the gift that God gave you. And start using it for His glory. Hebrews 13 verse 7, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. This is the watchman aspect of shepherding. This is so important. This is why, listen, whenever you come to me and you ask me a question, I'm going to tell you the truth. And guess what? I'm going to tell you the truth whether you like it or not. I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. And I'm going to tell you what God's Word says. That's what a good shepherd's going to do. He's keeping watch over your soul. He's not trying to to pad your life today. He's worried about your eternity and your tomorrow. That's what he's really worried about. I'm not worried about making you happy and feel good today, even though I'd love to do that if I can. I'm really worried about making sure that your soul is ready to go to meet Jesus. Keeping watch over yourselves. As those who will have to give an account, let, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I have joy every time I'm allowed to share God's Word with you. It blesses my heart. But why? Why are we given this task? It's so that we can equip, so we can build you up, so we can show you how to live up to your calling. What did did Paul say before? Walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called. It is so I can put tools in your hands, so I can show you what the Scripture says about how to walk with Jesus. Ezekiel 3 and verse 17, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. Now here's the thing. Every once in a while, Something is said from the pulpit or in the office or wherever. And it steps on your toes a little bit. And it's not meant to hurt your toes. It's meant to keep you from stepping over the line. Because you step over that line and you fall off. and There's destruction down that path. And so those four... Roles, And then we have a fifth role that he mentions, and this isn't just for the pastors or the evangelists, prophets, and apostles, but this is for those people that might, we might call them lay people, the teachers. And these are your Sunday school teachers. I want you to just do, do this for me just for a moment. Uh, take just some time for just a second. If you're a Sunday school teacher or you uh, are a facilitator of a Wednesday night group, I want you to go ahead and raise your hand for just a second. I want, you, I want you to give them a hand. Raise your hand. Give them a hand. And I want to say this to you all. I want to say this to you all. God has given you to the church so that you might equip the saints for the work of ministry. So you might, week in and week out, do the work of rightly dividing the word of truth, then deliver that to the people of God so that they will be equipped for their week, for their work, and so that they can grow. You're not just holding down an office as a teacher. It's not so you can get recognition, even though I know none of you seek that. Some people do. But it's so that you can equip the church. 
God doesn't call the equipped, but He always equips the call. And He's equipping you and me even now as we study His Word together. Lastly, not only have you been entrusted, not only are you being equipped, but lastly, you will be evaluated. There is going to be a judgment that comes one day. Notice what he says here again in verse 13. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Notice that word attain, the, the word, the phrase literally means to reach a stated or intended goal. There's an outcome that Jesus has in mind in giving you the spiritual gift that you have. There's a goal for your spiritual walk. And he wants you to become more and more like him. That's what it's really about. And that we would all become more and more like Jesus. Listen to the phrase unity of faith. And remember verse 5. Remember what he said? There is one faith. There's one Lord. There's one hope. There's one baptism. One God and Father of all. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Let me ask you this. Is there any division in Jesus? Absolutely not. There's absolute unity in Jesus. And it should be that way in His church. And the only way there can be unity is if everyone is functioning properly in the body you think I mean wouldn't it be weird if you woke up and you look you looked over there and and your hand was over on the floor crawling around all by itself doing its own thing you know you got ready to scratch your nose but your fingers wouldn't cooperate wouldn't it be weird well this is the image that Jesus is giving us, and that Paul is communicating to us, is that his body is one body. And he wants his church to be one church. He wants us to be unified in all things. So that we would attain to the unity of faith. This is the outcome that he wants. Unity. Not just that. Knowledge. Look at the next line of what he says here. That we may attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood. He wants us to have knowledge of Him. There are are understandings about who Jesus is that you know that I don't know. Because you've experienced something differently than I have. And He wants us all to grow together in that knowledge of the Son of God. And He wants us to be more like Jesus. And we got to keep growing. We can't give up learning. We've got to keep learning from one another. Maybe we could do this instead of judging someone else in the church for what they did or didn't do. Find out why they did it or didn't do it and learn from them. Maybe you learned the negative example, but maybe you learn a deeper spiritual truth than you never knew before. Dave Ramsey said this, people that are successful are continual learners you never quit learning and then he says we're going to attain to mature manhood some of us have been a one-year-old christian for 30 40 50 years and we haven't matured if you're no closer to jesus today than you were when you first came to know jesus then something is wrong you've been stunted in your spiritual growth and then what's the what's the ultimate what does it all look like 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what we're trying to measure up to as a church. We're trying to look like Jesus so that the rest of the world can see Jesus in us. That's the goal. Well, what would it look like? Paul, in these verses, he envisions, in verses 14 through 16, he envisions a mature adult capable of making good decisions, responsible, and a good head on their shoulders, a fit and healthy body, capable of loving relationships. Isn't that the goal of motherhood, parenthood? I mean, aren't we working up to the day that we can just hand over the car keys? Now, that's coming one day. You realize that? Parents, that you just dedicated your children? going to hand those car keys over one day. But isn't that the goal? I mean, isn't that what we really want? We want a responsible young person that can be entrusted with something as dangerous as a motor vehicle. And see, here's, here's my understanding of all of this church. That until we reach that place where we're growing in Christ and we're all unified as a body, God's not entrusting us to go any further than the front yard. But on the other hand, when we realize we've been entrusted with a gift and we're being equipped and we called to be unified together and use our gifts for the glory of Jesus, then that becomes the church that God can pour His Spirit into and say, go into the world. And God will use us. And guess what? He won't just, he won't just use us. Revival's going to break out in this place in ways that you've never seen before. And it's going to be amazing. And nothing will be able to stop us. I wonder whenever he comes back and he evaluates us, what it will be like. What will he say that we've done with the gift? He, Paul told Timothy, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. We are responsible for the gift we've been given. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The word there in Greek is bima. It's not the same as the great white throne judgment although it could happen simultaneously, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. At the Bema seat of Christ, you will not be evaluated based on someone else's gift, nor will you be evaluated based on gifts you don't possess. You will be evaluated based upon your gifting and your circumstances. The time you've wasted, the sins you've committed will all be burned up, Paul says. But the work you've done for God, multiplying the gift that you've been given, will be rewarded. Amen. I'm looking forward to the reward. And what I want to hear is what the Lord, the Master said to the one who had multiplied his talents. Well done, good and faithful servant. Are you going to hear that?
I want you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. For some of you today, the calling that God has placed on your life today is for you to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and be saved. He's calling you. He's got your number. He's called you by name today. And you've heard him because we've been in his presence. And what he said to you is that if you died today, you would spend eternity separated from his presence. But that does not have to be the case because Jesus, he lived a sinless life, the life that you could never live. And then he died for you on the sinner's cross. And he's calling you to be saved and he wants you in his kingdom. He's willing to receive you today if you're willing to receive him. And when he comes, not only will he save you, he'll sanctify you. And he'll call you into his service and he'll fill you with his spirit and he'll equip you so that you can be a blessing to others. You can be a, a faucet, not a drain because you're pouring out the spirit of God everywhere you go. But if you want that, if you want Jesus to save you today from your sins, then pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I've done things that are wrong and I've failed to do the things that I know are right. And I deserve the penalty for my sins. But Jesus, I believe that you lived a sinless life. You lived a life that I could never live. And you died for me on a cross. Jesus, I believe that on the third day you raised again to prove that you are God. And so I come to you now. Confess my sin. I repent from it. I turn to you and I ask you, forgive me. Give me a home in heaven with you. And I'll spend the rest of my life loving you and serving you. Thank you for my salvation today. In your name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to have our invitation, and this is your opportunity to let us know what Jesus has done for you. If you've just prayed that prayer, you come forward. This is your invitation to share what Jesus has just done in your life. And if you need prayer, our altar is open. You can come. Our altar counselors will be coming down, and they'll be glad to pray with you. And if you're looking for a church family, a church home, so that you can use your gift and serve the Lord Jesus Christ, you come and we'll welcome you into the family of faith. Let's sing together. God, I thank you so much for this uh, morning service that we've been able to worship and praise you. We thank you so much for the word that was brought. And God, I pray that you just continue to challenge us and push us more towards you, that everything that we do, everything that we say, draws and brings glory to you. God, we love you. In your heavenly name, amen.